Good afternoon and welcome once again to another episode of our series Logistics with Purpose. This is an incredible time of the month for me and I wish we would do this a little bit more often because uh, it's a really inspiring and exciting and today we have an amazing guest, a great organization, 154 children fully nourished, 82,286 meals donated. But before we get into any of that, Christy, how are you doing today? I'm good, Enrique. I'm excited to be here and always excited when uh, we get to talk to one of my friends. So this is going to be a lot of fun. And I think it's um, another great example of the creativity that people use to solve big problems in the world. So this is going to be a great conversation. I'm excited for everybody to be here and um, learn from Alice. Very, very, um, very timely interview as well as it's getting hot here in Georgia. And uh, I'm guessing it's getting hot uh, in other places as well. Yes, it is um, definitely for those who are working from home or like to be outside or just like to be comfortable. Today's um, episode is going to be a good one for you. This is their interview. Yes, you're absolutely right about that. And so before we say hi to our uh, amazing guest today, I just want to say uh, thank you to the team at Supply Chain Now and Clay, uh, Natalie and everyone behind the scenes making this show possible and as well to our audience, Maria. Uh, welcome. She's watching from PH. Uh, Rhonda Bumpensa Zimmerman, also very good morning to you too. She's in hot Arizona, so this interview would be interesting to you as well. Sachini Bidari joining from Germany. Um, Peter, Peter, as always, good always. afternoon. Yes, it's great to have you, and uh, we'll look forward to this conversation and your active participation in it as well. A um, lot of people joining as always. Uh, it's always so incredible to see people from all over the world kind of coming together to listen to uh, this amazing guest and organizations that we're going to hopefully continue featuring here. Christy, go ahead. Let us give us the honors of introducing our guest today. Yeah, so today we're talking to my friend Alice Brown, also here with us in Atlanta, but shipping globally. And she is the founder of Good Steps, who use, of all things, flip-flops to fight hunger. So I'm excited for everybody to hear from her and the creative solution she came up with. And she has a super interesting background that is um, atypical for a social entrepreneur. So she's done a lot of really amazing work here on a local level, but also working, of course, like many of our guests on a global scale as well. But like I said, it, it's fun to see when people come up with really creative solutions to fighting big problems. And so using flip-flops to fight hunger is certainly, I think, in that category. So I'm excited to introduce everybody to Alice Brown of Good Steps. Hi, Alice. Hey guys. Hey Alice, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm so excited to see you. This is going to be so fun and everybody needs flip-flops right now. We're going through a huge heat wave. Um, so it's going to be really awesome for everybody to learn more about what you do and hear your story. And yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to um, highlight your mission. So thanks so much for being here. I'm glad to be here. And I agree. Everybody needs flip-flops. <laughs> everybody. Everybody. And we have them both casually and a little bit dressier for those who are going into the office or having offsite meetings. Flip-flops are always a welcome sight. So um, right. I'm sure we'll find a pair for them. But yeah, so before we get into good steps and how you stepped out on purpose, um, please start us off and tell us a little bit about where you grew up in, in your childhood and kind of those early years in your life. Uh, sure. So I grew up in Alabama um, in Huntsville where Space and Rocket Center is. Unfortunately, I did not know any astronauts, but um, <laughs> yeah, I grew up and 
then uh, went away to college in North Carolina, went to Wake Forest, and then came to, ended up in Atlanta because I came to law school here. I went to Emory for law school and then um, met my husband and stayed put from there. <laughs> yeah. And so what did you study in um, law school, first of all? Uh, so in law, I was thinking I was going to do litigation. So I was pretty focused on that. And then when I actually um, chose what job I was going to take, I ended up doing uh, general corporate law for financial institutions. So I worked for banks and for REITs, uh, like real estate investment trusts, and um, just big, big companies that were doing either M&A or securities work. Um, and when I first came out, it was the banking crisis. So there was a lot of um, failing banks here in Georgia <laughs> that we were helping out. Um, so yeah, I did that for six and a half years. Right. And then hello, we've got some other Maria's joining us. Rhonda is here. Francois is here. Hi, Scott. So many good people. Um, so if you have questions along the way for any um, for Alice about either good steps or herself, then please put them in the chat and we'll try and um, make sure she answers those questions as well. But I know Enrique also had some questions about your background. Uh, I have tons of different questions and I'm just super <laughs> excited to have Alice here and we're talking the uh, backstage before this uh, live stream and it's 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 a pleasure to to get to know you and tell us because I feel like there's a little uh, a lot of things to kind of explain from how do you go from from legal <laughs> corporate lawyer uh, banking and finance into such an amazing organization tell us a little bit more about like your story in the earlier years that you always wanted to be an entrepreneur that you always kind of foresee yourself as someone that could turn flip-flops into a purpose <laughs> Driven organization. Uh, no. <laughs> no, as you can imagine, as a lawyer, we are a, a fairly risk averse group. So that was sort of my path was, you know, study. My parents were both, uh, both worked and worked hard. And um, so I just always was focused on finding that career path that was going to be stable. And, you know, I could always fall back on and um, I worked really hard at it. You know, I worked at a big law firm, which means a lot of hours put in. Um, but as I, as I sort of was growing up, all these companies started popping up that had a social mission. And I, as a consumer, I loved it. And I, you know, sought them out. I, if I heard that a company had some sort of give aspect, I bought it, whatever it was. I mean, I had quite the collection for gifts, nail polish, shoes, shirts, scarves, you know, if I found it, I was all on board. So when I, you know, sort of throughout my law career, again, you know, you're just working such long hours and, to be putting in that much work, I just slowly started thinking, you know, if I'm going to be working this hard, I kind of want to be working this hard <laughs> towards like something other than, you know, right. it's good work, but it's just for something yeah. bigger. So I finally made the leap um, when I had my first child, I have three kids. Uh, when I had my first child, it was like, okay, if there's ever going to be a time for me to take control of my schedule, first of all, and second of all, spend my work time creating good or, you know, feeling like a bigger, there's a bigger meaning behind my, my work. This is the time. So I sort of came up with the concept of the company first. Like I knew I wanted to create a company that would provide sustainable funding for nonprofit partners. And then once I knew I wanted to do that, I sort of came up with flip-flops because everybody has them. It's sort of universal. Both genders, all ages, it's something that everybody does anyway. Um, and then sort of researching the market, it seemed like there was um, some elasticity there. There's, you know, there would still be a demand for another uh, brand. And so then, then it was the learning process of like, okay, I know everything or not everything. I know a lot about law, 
and they knew nothing about manufacturing <laughs> and shoe design. So then just sort of jumping into that, that whole process, the development process took a solid two years before we were able to um, to launch. So when did you when did you finally journey. launch uh, Good Steps? Uh, we launched in August of 16, of 2016, which I mean, it's not really the best timing again, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, but just sort of the logistics of getting products from a manufacturer to us, you know, we obviously would have preferred to launch in early spring, like before the whole flip-flop season, but we finally got the shoes and it was like, I'm launching, even if it's the end of the, <laughs> the end of the season. That's great. And uh, of course, very brave in a very kind of uh, entrepreneurial way, right? I think that everyone kind of feels similarly, or at least I related to your story when you said, well, maybe we could be doing something different. And since we're working incredibly long hours anyways, why not? So uh, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people out there are, are relating to your story so far. Is there like any particular uh, story uh, from your upbringing, either in Alabama or North Carolina, that gave you some hints as of the entrepreneurial uh, career path that you were going to choose at some point or something that kind of shaped your your views as of why giving back, why making a positive impact is important, not only to you, but to the world these days? Well, you know, I think from my early childhood, it was really just seeing my parents work really hard. They, My mom was an audiologist and my dad was a psychiatrist and they just, they put in a lot of hours and they were just passionate about what they did because they felt like they were really helping people. So it was a different sort of helping people, you know, they were, it wasn't like a give per se, it was their actual job. Um, so I think I just always had that idea that I would love for what I did to help people like directly. And then and sort of realizing that in law, you are helping companies, which is helping people, but it's not really helping people directly. Um, and then my husband and I took a trip towards the end of my law career. We went um, to Africa for three weeks and it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a trip. It was a fun trip. It wasn't like meant to, you know, change anything, but just seeing we were in, we went and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And so we were in Tanzania and just, you couldn't help but notice sort of the, the need all around you, you know, just the, it was, it was, I don't know, not surprising because you obviously already know that, but it was just a, a very, large juxtaposition from my day-to-day -day life of helping this, these big corporations and then seeing sort of day-to-day -day lives of people who are struggling to have their, their most basic needs met. And so I think that just the two of those together just sort of engendered in me an interest in like, how can we all do what we're doing, but like do it in a way that's better for everybody, like actually helping people um, while still, you know, maintaining our normal lives and just always having that in the back of your head, like how can you do your everyday life and also help people? <laughs> yeah. What was it like climbing Kilimanjaro? I would assume you felt like you could do basically anything. Starting a business was small after that. Right. <laughs> it was definitely it was definitely a bigger challenge than I understood going in. I think my husband understood it a little bit better, but it was very hard. <laughs> and it took we we did it in six days, and it was it was a journey to say the least. Yeah. Sounds incredible. Yeah, it, it was an accomplishment, but everyone, I'm like, everyone asked if my kids ask if they, if they should do it, I would say absolutely not. <laughs> it's just, it's a lot, there's a lot more, it was a lot more dangerous than I anticipated, I guess. Um, but it, overall, a wonderful experience. And like you said, it's a challenge that you're certainly glad you did after the fact. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, Charles made a great comment about uh, purposeful purchasing feels like a good direction for retailers to take. So yeah, I, we completely agree with you, Charles. So Alice, let's talk a little bit about, um, I guess first a little bit more because there's there probably not a lot of lawyer turned social entrepreneur that sells <laughs> flip-flop stories out there. It's not really <laughs> true movie formulas that we're familiar with. So, um, Talk a little bit more about just, uh, I guess, you talked a little bit about be, feeling good about what you did, but a little unfulfilled on the purchase side. But So besides now as an entrepreneur, especially manufacturing, sourcing, all of that stuff, you're really great at reading contracts. Yes, um, got that. <laughs> the other like skills, I guess, that you, you now maybe looking back didn't really see how they would translate, but are now coming in so helpful and how having that law background has really um, helped you as an entrepreneur? Well, I think you nailed it. Like the most helpful part certainly has been like contract negotiation and just making sure that sort of the corporate side is buttoned up, creating creating a corporation, sort of all of the things that go around it, trademarking our name, you know, all of those things certainly felt more natural. And then I think just um, sort of the mindset of of corporate America has both helped and hurt, I think, because, you know, on a big firm side, you respond quick, like time is money, like you respond quickly, you get things done quickly, you try to be as efficient as possible. Um, you're organized, you know, all of those things help when you've got when you're running a business, and you've got all the different things that you have to take care of rather than like, if it was just dealing with the manufacturer, that would be easier. But obviously, then you also have to do social media marketing and, and uh, PR and you know, all the other buckets, you sort of have to manage all of them. And just time management, you know, I feel like you can get sucked in as an entrepreneur, you can get sucked into a 24 hour a day job. <laughs> and having already done that at a law firm, I feel like I, I appreciated the ability to not have to do that as an entrepreneur. When you work for yourself, you have to sort of self regulate <laughs> and say, you know what, I don't actually have to stay up all night and do this because it's, it's on me. <laughs> and so I think that has been very beneficial. Peter, Peter joining us from um, Kenya. Uh, again, we have people from all over the world. I'm pretty sure like the uh, Kilimanjaro story mm -hmm. kind of resonated with them. Um, Peter, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, Charles as well. And Mohamed uh, Saiful, and I probably butchered the way that your name was uh, <laughs> pronounced, but thank you. Thank you for joining as well this conversation. Alice, so you kind of have talked to us a little bit about, you already walked us through the first steps of good steps. Uh, I guess no pun intended there, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you mentioned a little bit about you and, and how caring and, and kind of how driven by companies that have some kind of purpose and, and you were a con you are a consumer, we're all our consumers. And, and you kind of feel that that's, that strength of deciding what to buy and what to do with your money, it's important. So now you mentioned that everyone wears flip-flops and that's why you you decided on the flip-flops but if you could tell us a little bit more about that story because at the end of the day I would love to understand a bit more some of those brainstorming sessions when you knew that you wanted to leave you knew that you wanted to start something in the that would help others more directly uh, what other potential projects were you considering and and why other than the fact that everyone wears flip-flops and I think it's a brilliant idea um, how did you end up with that with that one in particular? And then tell us a little bit more about the the name uh, the naming process too. Well, so interesting. Flip flops is actually the first idea that I came up with, and I sort of it felt right, it felt good. But then I, you know, I 
put it aside and I tried to think of like bigger and, you know, is there something else I'm missing? You know, you go through the typical iterations of, well, everybody has t-shirts or, you know, but there's just, there, there's a lot of things that a lot of people have that, that are easily easy to replicate. Um, you know, everybody can print a t-shirt or, you know, there's just a lot of products that I felt like either would get lost in the mix um, or just weren't, you know, you only need so many scarves or whatever it was. Um, and so it just felt like shoes were the right fit and they're not fast fashion. You know, they're not something that they're going to go out of style or that I would have to flip over a lot, you know, restyle over and over. It's just sort of, it could, it's a consistent product, I guess. Um, so then once I was thinking that that might be a good fit, I'd started talking to just as many people as I could possibly talk to connecting with them through friends of friends, through LinkedIn, through everywhere I could think of just sort of trying to figure out all the negatives that I didn't know about, like just to make sure I was in an, you know, informed before I just jumped in there. I mean, I didn't even know how you go to a manufacturer. Do I have to sew a shoe and be like, can you make this? Like, I have no idea. I don't know how to make a shoe. Um, so just sort of, it was a, it was a bumpy road of just talking to people. And then they would say, oh, you should talk to this person and this person. And eventually I found my way to um, my shoe designer who is amazing. And I'm, that was one of the best decisions I made with hiring him. Um, he's in Vancouver, but anyway, we just hit it off and he has been super helpful along the way. Um, but so once I started that process of like figuring out what I actually wanted the shoe to look like, again, making it as universal as possible and as versatile as possible, but also stand out on its own. Well, that, and that's another reason I picked shoes actually too, is because I wanted the product to stand on its own. Uh, you know, I love a social enterprise, but if your product isn't good, you're really only selling the story and that can only take you so far. Um, so I wanted the product to be, you know, just as good as it could possibly be so that even if the story doesn't resonate or you, nobody, you know, if they don't even know about the story, they just like the flip flop on its own sake for its own sake. So, um, so that's how I sort of honed in on flip flops. And that was my idea about sort of how to make them, stand out, not just the story. The story was the reason for them existing, but I wanted them to be good on their end. And then the naming process, I actually was going to do a, a post about this. I came up with some, I mean, we just, uh, my husband and I, my friends and I, uh, we just brainstormed constantly and, you know, had some hilarious ones that I loved. And then, you know, <laughs> then the like .com wouldn't be available. And then I'd find another one. And then I talked to people and they like, oh, of course, like makes so much. I was able to snag the dot com, which was the biggest, you know, the biggest part of the puzzle to me. Um, and then we just went from there. But it, it took a while to get there. But as soon as as soon as I heard it, it was like, oh, of course, it's good stuff. It <laughs> but there's has, some it has funny a great ones. Name. Yeah. 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 Great, yeah. great, great name to it and a good story. And uh, a lot of younger uh, people listen to this uh live streams and episodes of Logistic with Purpose. Is there like anything that you would like to kind of uh, suggest to them if they're kind of entrepreneurs at heart, looking for a product, looking to launch something, um, given your experience and what you've learned throughout this whole process, what, what would you tell those kind of uh, young entrepreneurs or even young at heart entrepreneurs that are out there and want to do something? Everyone, you know, find anyone um, about their experiences, just so you don't go into something without really knowing knowing your market, 
knowing, you know, sort of everything that you need to know before going in. Uh, I feel like that helped me immensely. Just, just do your, I mean, it's like anything you got to do your research before you buy a car, you research it before you make big life decisions, you research it. So just talk to everybody. I mean, even people that might potentially be your future competitors. I, feel, I just feel like I have, if you go into it with a, you know, not with a, I'm, I'm not just taking from you. Like, I think you're like, tell them why you're reaching out. Like you're, I've always respected your brand. I think you're doing an amazing job at XYZ. Um, I'd love to, uh, you know, ask you these three specific questions that I have about the process or something like that. You know, nobody wants to get an email that's like, can I pick your brain over coffee? <laughs> They're like, who are you? <laughs> um, I'm busy. I don't have time for that. But if you're specific and you explain exactly why you're reaching out, I feel like nine times out of 10, people are so happy to talk to you about it. So that's my main advice, honestly, is just talking to everyone so that you know if it's a good fit before you dive in. Yeah, that's a really uh, bold move too, especially to talk to competitors or people, you know, there's a, a lot of times we also make assumptions. They're probably too busy. They won't reply. I can just Google this. So um, I think there's also some of that grit that comes with starting a company that even just comes through that research process of, um, you know, being willing to reach out and ask those card conversations or have those conversations and ask card questions, even if it's somebody you think could be competing with you on some level and just seeing if they'll respond. So, right. I, I mean, really to that point though, you do, I feel like that was part of my advice though, is to make sure you like, if it's in a readily available question on Google, like definitely look at that first, you know, come prepared so that they understand right. why you're coming to them. Not just like, Hey, I want to network with you or whatever, you know, I feel like that that's always appreciated. Like, Oh, I've looked and you've done this. And I had a, another question about that, that I couldn't find or something to that effect. But yeah. yeah. And then let's talk about um, two. I want to hear more. We talked about the flip-flops. We talked a little bit about how you came up with those, but there's so many big issues in the world, so many things to tackle, um, so many causes that, to choose from. So how did you end up um, focusing on hunger and then also the two um, charities that you ultimately decided to go with as well as for your, the social impact piece? Right. So you're right. There's so many there's so many ways you can go. And I mean, the very first step is I just wrote down a list of like things that if I had a magic wand that I could fix and they're huge. So you're like, okay, cancer, like water, <laughs> yeah. everyone needs water, food. And um, ultimately decided on food because to me, food and water, it's like, if you don't have that, then you can't fight disease. You can't, you know, there's so many other issues that you can't, uh, you know, even address if somebody doesn't have their most basic needs, food, water, shelter. Um, and then food just felt particularly like impactful to me, especially as I was having kids, I couldn't imagine not being able to provide them with just basic nutrition. Um, when I started researching all the, you know, mal the number of malnourished children in the world, it was just shocking to me um, that they, I mean, not even basic nutrition, you know? So I, I ultimately honed in on hunger and then from there, there's a bunch of websites and I have a friend who's in the nonprofit world who, you know, where you can sort of search out organizations based on how they spend their money, you know, sort of the success rate, if you will, there's like a metric for, you know, how the money is being spent, whether they report how they spend their money precisely, sort of all the, the ways where you can follow your money basically when you donate um, and then there was, a, so then it got down to a shorter list. And so 
then it was, I think we should have a local option where you can see the impact in your local community. And that's how I ended up on Atlanta Community Food Bank. Um, and they're also really transparent about how they spend their money and where it goes. And there's tons of volunteer opportunities, which I really liked. And then Mana Nutrition, they primarily or 100% give their uh, little RETS packets, nutritional packets, um, are given around the world to directly treat malnourished children. Um, a malnourished child needs three of those a day for four to six weeks, and then they're fully nourished. And they, you know, so it completely reverses and they can go forth from there. And I think the stat is like, once they're fully nourished uh, and once the malnourished child is fully nourished, it's like 90% of them don't become malnourished again. So you really do just sort of change the trajectory of their health and their life. So um, MANA is based in North Carolina, but they actually manufacture their packets in Georgia. So um, they felt like there was a connection there, but then the customer would have the option between you know, do I want my money to go locally and help food insecure people here in Georgia? Or do I want to focus on um, a, you know, kids abroad? So they, you could sort of, the customer could sort of pick their passion, if you will. Yeah. And we talked, we were talking before the show. And then, of course, you and I have talked um, previously just about, I, you know, we've, as I said, you can buy sometimes um, throughout the year, you can buy a Subaru and choose your charity or where you want to give back to. But to see it on such a, an entrepreneurial solopreneur um, at such a small company level is really cool to be able to, to put that power back into people's hands and back to that purchase power that, you know, the power that we each have every day um, is such a special and unique thing. And um, also just talk a little bit more about sort of, you were talking about earlier, the, the profit model and how you um, choose your percentage on giving back and all of that kind of thing too, because that's also unique purpose of the company is to support our nonprofit um, giving partners. We give 100% of our post-operational profits to these partners. And so, you know, the way that works out is approximately 20% of the purchase price of every item sold. Um, and so the customer, they, you know, we are only online. Um, and so the customer goes online and picks their products. And then as they're checking out, they decide which giving partner they want to donate to. And then we make a quarterly donation um, add up all those, you know, purchases and make a quarterly donation to each of our giving giving partners, um, which is basically the whole idea. It's, you know, we're we're a for profit company, but the profits go to charity. So it's it's similar to a nonprofit, but our hope is that it's a sustainable. It's basically a sustainable source of income for these nonprofits, so that you know it's just always turning over cash instead of a one time donation or something like that. So. It's, um, it, it is, it's our whole purpose is to give people the power to do good. I think, like you said, even when you're doing a, a purchase as, you know, small as a flip-flop, that adds up. If, if you know, 200, 1,000 people who were going to buy flip-flops elsewhere bought flip-flops with us, that's making a difference. You know, every little bit, every decision people can make in their lives can make it, you know, can make a difference depending on how they, how they do it. Yeah. And you're very transparent about highlighting the numbers directly on your website and what and showing what your impact is and um, allowing people to see the change that they're making, too. So um, that's really important and amazing that you do that. I was just going to say that is that is really important to me personally, just as a person, as, as we were talking about earlier, as a consumer for, you know, as someone who loves social impact companies, uh, as I've gotten more into being on the business side of it, it's really important to me to be uh, transparent about what 
what we do with the money and how, and just being very open about all of the back end part of that. Because when a company says we're a social enterprise, we give you know money to X Y Z, that you don't really know what that means. That could mean they give a penny. That could mean they give a lot. You just have no idea. And I don't want it to ever be unclear what we're doing. This is not marketing. This is this is why we're here. Absolutely. Just um, and, and what you said is very powerful and it kind of um, stayed with me. Uh, give people the power to do good because on top of everything that you're saying, you're also letting the consumers because you went through that and you bought and purchased products from companies that you believed in. Uh, you're giving that choice to your consumers. So um, so that's that's really, really smart. And uh, that's something that Charles uh, Charles also seconds. Alice, very insightful to have to sell more than just a story. Charles, thank you so much. Uh, Rhonda kind of uh, doubles down on that as well. Like there, uh, you have not only a great purpose and a great mission, but at the end of the day, as you mentioned it yourself, the the flip flops are high quality, great products. If you're going to buy a flip flop anyways, why wouldn't you buy one that's not only incredibly comfortable and uh, and well designed, but but one that will then give back to people. Um, Francois, thank you so much for your question. And Alice, this question for you. So, and you briefly mentioned this before, but in particular to the developing or the sourcing. And I know that uh, I think you're sourcing and manufacturing some of these in Brazil as well. How how do you learn about the product? And Francois, thank you so much for for that question. Well, it is definitely a process. As I mentioned, that first production, I was very green. <laughs> um, so. That was initially why we ended up going with a developer here in the U.S. who had a relationship with this factory in Brazil um, so that they could sort of help us walk through the process, which was still bumpy even with that experienced person, um, just because I was very particular um, about what I was willing to accept and not accept in terms of quality and color and everything. Um, I think you know, now looking back, having going through this process again without the U.S. Uh, liaison help, I think the process is always going to be bumpy. Um, that's just that's that's the story of manufacturing and sourcing. Um, but you know, I think I basically learned by doing is is the is the short error. answer. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And just basically sticking to my guns. I think you know it was a long process which I'm sure was painful, as painful for the manufacturer as it was for me, but it was important to me that I got it right. And so right. I think they eventually got that and we got the product right, but it is a process. And, and you, you mentioned that you launched it. in 2016, correct? That's right. Yes. So we are about to be uh, five in August. And Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And we are in the process of uh, launching kids shoes for the first time, which is exciting. Um, which you guys, Vector, actually, I believe, is going to help us get the shoes to America when they're ready, if and when they're ready. <laughs> well, count, count with our support uh, for whatever you might need. And Francois, thank you very much for, for that question as well. And I guess trial and error, make a lot of mistakes, be brave, mm -hmm. keep pushing. It's, uh, it's, stick to your guns. <laughs> stick to your guns, uh, and as Alice has done. And, and that's just, there's no magic bullet i guess right when it comes to this thing no. you just have to go and just have to go and do it and learn and talk to a lot of people that have done it in the past uh charles a lot of comments kim as well kim winter welcome uh 
to the show as well. Thaisar uh, from Singapore, welcome as well. And uh, at this point, we have an amazing um, audience and I'm not going to be able to read every single comment, but I want to thank the audience for participating. And I'm actually going to call out a couple of you guys, Peter, Kim, uh, if you guys have any questions for Alice Brown, please send them on the send them on the text. Alice, going back to uh, supply chain and logistics for a second, and I was thinking about like now after the pandemic, 2021, um, any big challenges, any big problems that you have kind of faced, and I'm sure you have many, but one in particular they want to share with us, and and what do you learn from it? How do you solve it? Well, this year has been obviously interesting for everyone. Luckily, because we are small, it's just me. I, we haven't had as many, you know, there haven't been like office or workplace issues related, but we, you know, the like I mentioned, we were working on kids' shoes and that production has certainly been slower as a result because Brazil was hit hard um, with COVID as well. And so just sort of trying to navigate when to be patient and when you know, to sort of push a little bit because, you know, it's hard to tell from afar when that is a real factor and when it's not, when they just aren't moving ahead. And so I think that's been a, a big challenge is just to sort of figure out when it's, when there are real reasonable delays and when there are unreasonable delays being blamed on a totally valid reason. So, um, I think that I think that has been the biggest challenge on my end because, the, as I mentioned, the process, manufacturing process is slow to begin with, and then you throw in something as complicated as a global pandemic. Um, you certainly have to adjust expectations, but you also have to make sure things are moving when they can be moving. Um, so I think that has been, and it, I mean, it continues to be. Honestly, they when are we when are we sort of moving out of the pandemic related issues? When they're you know, it's just it's a hard it's a hard thing to manage until I guess everybody is vaccinated and we can all go back to normal. It's just difficult to know when, especially when I can't be there on, on the ground in person at the factory seeing firsthand whether, whether this is really affecting X, Y, Z or not. Absolutely. Especially, um, and you, you pointed out like we in the U S I think are blessed in so many different ways, but there's different countries that are might be trailing behind a little bit on the vaccination front there. Uh, they're still having new COVID outbreaks. And so you're absolutely right. It's been a, definitely a challenging year for, for a lot of companies, I would say. A lot of most companies out there, uh, in particular for, for, I guess, your company trying to bring on a new product, new launch from Brazil when they're being hit by COVID. That, that must be that must be real challenging for sure. Any Anything else on the... Uh, supply chain or just in general, like tell us a little bit more about how your company and organization uh, went through such a difficult year during the pandemic and what you learned from from your skill sets and some of the things that you think that you'll need to get better at going forward. Well, the, uh, to your first question, um, sourcing is just generally a an interesting process um, when you're not a big organization uh, because we do fairly small production runs. Um, Luckily, we they have smaller minimums in Brazil than some other larger uh, manufacturing outputs. But um, sourcing can become difficult because they basically source the exact amount that you need for one production. So if I come back in a year and I'm like, these were really popular, I'd like to make these again, they may have to start over on the sourcing, which is difficult then to you know have the same product 
with new materials. So um, that's going to be an ongoing challenge until we can just, you know, do bigger runs, I think. But even then, it's just um, particularly with leathers, you know, they make a batch and they dye it. Um, hand diet exactly how you want and then if you everyone loves it and you sell it then it's like oh now we got to make it again but it's never going to be exactly the same um so you just have to sort of know that and and just generally try to get close again um but especially on kids shoes if you can imagine so that they're so much smaller you need so much less of all the materials <laughs> so it's just it's it's a challenge to get suppliers to agree to give you you know the amount that you need or you just have to buy so much and hope that it sells so that you can make more of the exact same color and, you know, style. So it is an interesting uh, learning process as to sort of balancing you either pay more for less or you kind of gamble and buy more, hoping that it's the right mixture of color and texture and everything else. Um, but as far as COVID itself, so when, um, when everything sort of shut down in March of last year, um, the food bank in particular was immediately, the demand for their services went up exponentially because people's jobs were furloughed, you know, everything, schools were shut down. A lot of kids get school meals. So for the first four months of the pandemic, we doubled our gifts so that we were giving 40% of every sale to the two, our two giving partners, just to try to do our part in making an impact. Um, so it is, I mean, the food bank has really stepped up. They've, you know, I don't even know the numbers, but they've tripled or quadrupled the number of uh, food that they distribute um, around North Georgia. Um, and there and they're still are. They expect to continue to be in high demand for a little bit longer while everything, everyone get, gets back to work and everything. So, um, you know, we it, it just affected everybody. It was, it was a no brainer to me if, if we're trying to, if we're trying to help people fight hunger issues and suddenly hunger issues are a much bigger issues, it was like, we'll just do what we can and give more then. That's that. I mean, congratulations. There's really no other way of saying it. This is amazing. Like when, when everyone else was struggling, when everyone else was kind of trying to shy away from investing in their companies and their futures and whatever, you basically double, literally double down, <laughs> uh, <laughs> double down the help in the, hopefully one of the worst years that we've seen in history hopefully. of humankind. So, uh, so this speaks volumes of the kind of company and, and the purpose and how committed you are to not only the product itself, but giving back. Um, good question here. Well, we have plenty of good questions. So the one that I'm going to ask you comes from Charles again. Uh, are returns a big issue for your product line? You know, we have been lucky and not been good. Um, we have had not had many returns, which is, which is great. I don't know if it's just a result of my shoe designer's excellent design. Um, but we really haven't had a big issue with that. You know, the more that we sell, obviously you get more returns, but it's few and far between. And we have a very um, detailed fit guide on our website, um, which I always send people to if they email a question about fit, you can actually print it out and stand on the printout. I'm nice. like, it's very clear. <laughs> <laughs> you can mess it up. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, you just put your foot on it and you can see right there whether it fits or not. <laughs> um, you know, the, I think the hardest part about flip-flops is that typically there's no half sizes. So that, I would say that accounts for most of the returns. If someone's a half size, they just don't know whether to go up or down. And often if they go up or down and they should have gone up or down, you know, down or up, 
then um, that might be their problem. But for the most part, we've been really lucky on that. But you usually should go up, right? What's the fashion advice for someone that doesn't know about how to buy flip-flops? Always go yes. bigger? I, mostly always go bigger, um, with the exception of if you have a really skinny foot, I would go down one size because our, we also have memory foam that will sort of settle a little bit. It doesn't stretch. It just sort of feels settle in a little bit, um, which feels like it's, giving you a little extra space so it's really fit length as opposed to anything else there you go Which again I'm, print out your fit guide and you can yeah, stand right on it. Yes. um <laughs> i have another question from uh kim winter um hey alice joined the show late today as enrique knows i'm ceo of not-for-profit oasis africa freedom from poverty through education eight thousand kids ed educated in 15 years and uh what's your tip for other folks wanting to start a non-for-profit i'm always asking the question give advice where i can interest interested in your your tip thank you kim for the question and also thank you for everything you do in yeah, africa it is amazing and how, how much impact you're you're having as well absolutely i mean that's a hard one i think again it goes back to research it's it's sort of and also think small so you're not gonna found a non-profit or a social enterprise and cure cancer tomorrow um, or give $3 million tomorrow. You need to start with, okay, if I could help one person, if I like in your instance, if I can educate one child, what do I need to do to do that? And then if that's successful, okay, I want to do two kids and then I want to do three kids. And you sort of, I think you just got to start and think small. Well, you can always have huge goals. Like that's, you know, that's the dream. Like I would love to eradicate hunger, but in the interim, you need step-by-step step to have like, you know, doable goals. And then also just picking something that you're passionate about. So it doesn't, it doesn't become tiresome or, um, you know, if you're passionate about it, then you're going to put in the work and the little bumps in the road aren't going to deter you. So um, I think that would be my advice is to think small while dreaming big <laughs> and also do your research as to whether it's sort of a, something that can, that can have get, you know, carry on and not just be, it's something that's sustainable, I guess. And along those lines, I think um, you've talked a little bit about um, the term social enterprise and not everyone may be familiar with the term social enterprise. So if you want to speak to that just a little bit, as well as um, you probably like a lot of people out there, even to Kim's question, what, do I go nonprofit or for profit and support a cause? And how did you um, come to the decision of going for profit to support nonprofits and um, just figuring out the social impact company side versus a nonprofit side? Right. Okay. So the reason we decided not to do a nonprofit is basically because we are not experts in this fight against hunger. Um, there are many people who are, and there are already so many organizations doing such great work um, with their feet on the ground, already in the fight. So I didn't feel like I could do better than they could coming into this game in 2016. So for to me, it just made sense to be a for-profit and to just basically make as much, get as much money in these people's hands, these experts' hands as I could um, to help them do what they do. Um, and as far as a social enterprise, I mean, to me, that's what a social enterprise is. It's like, it may not, they may not give all of their profits away like we do, but it's a company that whose main mission, or at least a large part of their mission is to give back, whether that's give money to nonprofit giving partners, whether that's um, being sustainable or ethically produced um, or supporting employees, you know, through this work or whatever, um, basically just having 
a cause bigger than making a profit, but they are for profit. Um, and I forgot you had a second part of the question that I may not. No, you heard. did great. I okay. just, well, in case I know some people are still unfamiliar with the term social enterprise, which we've tossed around a little bit. So I wanted to make sure that was clear and then just further understand how you decided to go. Okay. Um, for-profit versus non-profit. So no, that's fantastic. And what was the, just in case anybody's wondering or wanting to start their own project, um, what was the website you used earlier when you were talking about being able to track um, giving and results and figure out which organizations you wanted to support? I would have to double check that. I think it was Charity Tracker, I believe. Okay. But there was a several, and the friend that I have that's in that business, she's in a consulting business, as a business that specifically advises corporations on how to choose their charity um and she directed me towards it i, I can follow up with you and um, yeah we can we can post it link. on the uh on the notes um okay great when we kind of launch it again sure. yeah great and then hopefully a question that uh, more people are asking like um jose here is how do people support your vision to support you and if they um have some hot feet right now <laughs> or want yes. their toes where are they supposed to go? That's awesome. Well, you can go to our website. It's uh, www.goodsteps.com. And uh, we're on Instagram too, at goodsteps. But basically, getting the word out is huge. Um, obviously, we'd love for you to buy flip-flops. We think everybody needs them. But getting the word out, and, and we're basically 100% word of mouth um, at this point. So that is, that is our best uh, method of marketing. And, you know, we... Um, we we love working with companies. We've had a couple of customers who um, have decided they own enough flip flops <laughs> that have um, basically bought uh, like, you know, however many flip flops, 50 or whatever, and then asked that we find somewhere to actually donate the flip flops. So then you get like a double give sort of situation where we found a, um, a women's shelter in Atlanta that needed shower shoes, basically. And so we you know, we both, he got to donate a lot of money to Mana Nutrition, and then we got to donate a lot of shoes as well. So it was like a everybody wins, you know, scenario, which was great. And just for those who don't love flip-flops, which I can't imagine there's many, but we have shirts <laughs> and hats. There's and, something wrong with those people, please. Yeah, I'm sorry if that's you. Disconnect right now and find something right. else. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. But we do have cozy t-shirts, and we have kids' shirts for, you know, while you're waiting on our kids' shoes. So we have other items as well. Or you can just donate directly to the food bank or Mana Nutrition. They always would be happy for that as well. Absolutely. And uh, Christy, um, thank you so much. Alice, this has been incredible. We're uh, wrapping up this amazing show. It's been really, really nice talking to you. Uh, it sounds that uh, you have everything, you've done everything very in a very smart and caring way. So we, we're going to be definitely not only supporting you, but cheering for you and and good steps as you continue to grow this into a, a world brand, I'm sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. And I appreciate what y'all are doing as well. Get the I word have, out. It's half the battle. <laughs> yes. We'll definitely push for that. And then we'll have our, uh, our audience to thank for that as well. Maria has uh, another quick question for you. See if we can kind of get it in. Um, what is your company's strength over your competitors? I think our strength right now is that we are smaller than our competitors. And I mean, how, you know, they're focused on the bottom line, which we are as well, but it's not our bottom line. It's our nonprofit partners, bottom line. So I feel like that is more motivating, at least to me, than, uh, you know, a monetary profit in my pocket. So I think that's a, you know, a strength that, you know, 
it's just more motivating to me. Plus, I think it resonates with consumers. And I think our products at the end of the day are also as good or better than theirs. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and Mohib, uh, thank you once again for joining us. Uh, very supportive as well. Every good step eradicates hunger. That's quite a message right. uh, for any kind of purpose-driven customers out there like uh, we, we all are here. Um, Christy, what was uh, your favorite part of this interview as we kind of wrap it up? Uh, anything else that I might have been missing? I, you know, like I said at the beginning, my uh, one of my favorite things in having these conversations with people is just there's there's so many big issues like Alice talked about hunger, water, um, health, nutrition, poverty. There's so many different things to tackle, and we all have different issues that resonates with us. And um, I just love how Alice was able to hone in on an issue that meant something to her and figure out a very tangible way to solve it. And I, you know, I'm personally a big fan of the social enterprise model because it is a, an amazing intersection of cause and commerce. And, you know, we can use things that, and we can sell things that we buy all the time and wear every day, like flip-flops and also use them to fight big problems. So the, the creativity behind that, the messaging, as Mohi pointed out, um, Everything is just this this beautiful uh, kind of intersection and overlap to where it's something we need, but it also gives back. And it was um, terrific to hear how Alice found a way to do that and the creativity used in solving such a big problem like hunger. Absolutely. And uh, thank you once again, Alice. Thank you very much to the audience. Maria says, great answer. Sends hi to mm -hmm. everyone as well. Mm -hmm. um, thank you. This has been a really interesting and inspiring conversation with you. We wish you the best. And of course, I want to thank uh, the team at Supply Chain Now, Natalie, Amanda, Clay. Without you guys, this, of course, would not be possible. The audience, without you guys, none of this would be possible. So please, if you enjoyed these conversations and if you like to kind of uh, continue the dialogue about uh, purpose-driven organizations like... Uh, like good steps and talking to owners like Alice Brown that are really changing the world and making it a better place. Please just follow us, uh, join us next time. And this has been a pleasure. Thank you very much to everyone. And I hope you have a great rest of the week. Thanks so much, guys. See you guys.